0: The Corum Deo Church community is a missional church rooted in historic, biblical Christianity and committed to cultural engagement. We hope the message you are about to hear spurs you to deeper reflection on the gospel of Jesus Christ. Thanks for listening. Our scripture reading this morning is from the Gospel of John, chapter 13, verses 31 through 38. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus answered him, Where I am going, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow afterward. Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Jesus answered, Will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, the rooster will not crow till you have denied me three times. The word of God for the people of God.
1: Good morning. I can only imagine that as Jesus gathered his disciples together this night, perhaps, perhaps they finished dinner and they transitioned to the family room, like many of your gospel communities do. Uh, when he said the words, a new commandment I give to you. There was probably a sense of growing anticipation in the room. Like I just picture the disciples pulling out their pencils, pulling out their journals, leaning forward. What's he gonna say? What new information is he gonna give to us? He says, Love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. D.A. Carson, says that this new command is simple enough for a toddler to memorize and appreciate, while also profound enough that the most mature believers are repeatedly embarrassed at how poorly they comprehend it and put it into practice. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. If you remember in the Gospel of Matthew, the religious leaders gather around Jesus and they ask him this question. They say, Teacher, what is the greatest commandment? And he said to them, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. So this new commandment isn't that new, or is it? Listen to what Cyril of Alexandria said in the fifth century, a long time ago. He said, The law of Moses mandated the necessity of loving our brothers as ourselves, yet our Lord Jesus Christ loved us far more than he loved himself. Otherwise, he would have never descended to our humiliation in his original exaltation in the form of God and in equality with God the Father. Nor would he have undergone for our sakes the exceptional bitterness of his death in the flesh, nor have submitted to beatings, to shame, to derision, and all his other sufferings too numerous to mention. Being rich, he would never have become poor if he had not loved us far more than he loved himself. It was indeed something new for love to go as far as that. Christ commands us to love as he did. Now listen to this, putting neither reputation, wealth, or anything else before the love of our brothers and sisters. As I've gotten older, there is no commandment I find as challenging. No commandment that I fail to put into practice No commandment that I find myself relying more fully on the Holy Spirit for than the commandment to love each and every one of you as Christ has loved me. Why? Well, because this love isn't self-centered. This love doesn't say that we should love others who make you feel important or special. This love isn't feelings-centered, It doesn't say that we should love others that you desire to love or that you're drawn or attracted to. This love is not transactional. It doesn't say love others because they have loved you. No, this love is costly. This love is sacrificial. This is the type of love that I spoke about 17 years ago uh, on my wedding day when I said the words, I, Justin, commit to love you, Tracy, for better and for worse for richer and for poorer, in sickness and in health, in the good times and in the hard times for as long as we both shall live. And Jesus now is saying to you this morning, a new commandment I give to you, love one another. As I have loved you, you also are to love one another. It is a high calling that puts the gospel and the kingdom of God on display. So in our short time together, I want to consider three things. I want to consider the significance of our love, the strategy of our love, and the source of our love. Let's start with the significance of our love. Again, if you have a Bible, open it up to John 13. If you're not there yet, we're going to pick up in verse 31 said, when he had gone out, Jesus said, Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself, and glorify him at once. Little children, yet a little while I am with you. You will seek me, and just as I said to the Jews, so now I say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. Jesus knows his death is imminent. The dominoes have begun to fall. In verse 27 of this chapter, we see Satan entered into Judas. In verse 30, where we finished last week, Judas went out and it was night. Jesus' betrayal, his arrest, his beating, his crucifixion, his death, the tomb, the resurrection, his glorification, have all now been set in motion. So I want you to imagine for a moment. Imagine that you knew a week from today you were going to die. What you choose to say to those around you in the next week is significant. Many of us aren't going to be um, perhaps lucky enough to know when that time comes. I remember, I can't remember where I got it from, but I remember an exercise that I did a few years ago uh, in the case of uh, some sort of tragic death where 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 I was no longer here and I didn't get the chance to say a few final words I grabbed these letters uh, before I left the house this morning I keep them where like our life insurance is where our will is and these are letters that I've written to those that I love and care about to communicate some things in case I was to go this one right here is for my wife these next five uh, go to my five kids Uh, This one right here goes to mom and dad. This one goes to my in-laws. This one goes to my pastor. These are letters that have been written in case I'm not there to say any final parting words. What's in here is significant. In the same way, what Jesus is saying to us now is massively significant. Jesus knowing that his death is imminent says, love one another just as I have loved you, so you too are to love one another. Our love for one another is so significant to Jesus that he uses this word agape, this idea referring to a pure, willful, sacrificial love that intentionally desires another's highest good. He uses this word 24 times in the next five chapters in this farewell discourse. John 15, 12, he says again, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. In verse 17 of the same chapter, these things I command to you so that you will love one another. Not only is our love for one another significant to Jesus, but it's incredibly significant to John as well. Remember the last time you lost someone close to you? Don't you remember your final interactions with that person? the final conversations that you had. I still remember 12 years old being a boy, about a week before my grandma had passed away, I remember standing in the doorway, she was sitting off on the other side of the family room in a recliner, and I remember my 12-year-old self just saying, I love you, before I left. That moment is etched into my memory. And I'm sure the same is true for you as well. These moments, these conversations that you've had, these final Words with those uh, who you've loved so well are just etched into your soul. What Jesus is laying down here is significant, and what John is picking up is significant. How do we know this? Well, because John goes on to write a number of other books in the New Testament, including 1 John. And in that book, he uses this word love, this agape word, over 25 times. It's, almost, it's the theme of his writings, 1 John 3.11, for this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. 1 John 4.11, beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. This new commandment, our love for one another, is significant to Jesus. It's significant to John. Dare I ask, is it significant to you? When you think about the end of Jesus' ministry, do you think about this command to love one another? Does love for one another permeate your thoughts and your actions? What if we, the people of Coramdea, were known for our costly and sacrificial love for one another? What would that communicate? your neighbor, to your coworker, to your friend, to those who live around us? Well, that takes us to our next point. Could there be a strategy to this love? Look with me at John 13, verse 35. Jesus says this, "'By this all people will know that you are my disciples.'" If you have love for one another, Jesus is saying that by this, by our love for one another, the unbelieving world will be able to identify you and I as Christians. Catch this, catch the implications of this statement. You are God's divine strategy for putting on display His glory, His love, His goodness, and His kingdom to the watching world. Ray Ortland says this in his short little book, The Gospel, which is available out at the resource table. He says, The command of Christ is that we love one another. The example of Christ is that we die for one another. The promise of Christ is that our love will show a skeptical world the difference he really makes. Love is Christ's authorized way for us to be convincing. People today don't care about doctrine but they do care about love. The world is not impressed by anything about us, but the love of Christ, nor should they be. If we fail to love one another in ways so striking that we actually start looking like Jesus, then the world has the right to judge that we know nothing of him. They might be wrong. We might indeed be Christians, but the world is right to dismiss unloving Christians as unchristian. Jesus himself gave them that right. If you want the gospel to be displayed through you, if you want your life to point to the goodness and glory of God, if you want to be a living, breathing, walking testimony of the kingdom of God to the onlooking world, then when others scrutinize one another, serve one another. When others gossip about one another, do good to one another. When others are so quick to judge one another, be patient with one another in love. When others exclude one another, encourage one another daily. When others ignore one another, bear with one another. When you find others avoiding one another, you love one another. Why? Because by this, all people will know that you're Jesus' disciples if you have love for one another. It's remarkable to just look around this room. Take a moment, look around the room, look to the people to your left, look at the people to your right, and think about what this room represents. And rooms like this are happening all across the globe right now. God is working through you. At the fundamental core of who you are, you are not a problem to be solved. You are not an inconvenience. You are not an afterthought. You are God's divine strategy. You are his living, breathing, walking, divine strategy that God has chosen to put his gospel and his kingdom on display. And he does that through how you love one another. Francis Schaeffer, who's probably best known for co-founding the Brie community in Switzerland. It's been a community. Some of you have been there. Some some of you have been to this place um, or places similar to it that are now kind of scattered throughout the world. It's a place where people can go to seek honest answers about God and to experience healthy, redemptive, loving gospel community. They've worked so hard at crafting a redemptive community experience. And Francis Schaeffer, who's the, the most sophisticated mind on this, wrote an essay uh, on this passage titled The Mark of a Christian. And one of the questions he was attempting to answer is how can this love for one another be made visible? Again, one of the greatest thinkers out there on this. How can this love be made visible? He proposed two ways. One, when you have made a mistake, and when you have failed to love your Christian brother or sister, you go to him or her and you say, I'm sorry for how I failed to love you. Will you forgive me? Profound, right? Pretty easy until you have to go do it. The second thing that he commends to make this love visible, he says, when someone comes to you and says they're sorry, you offer and you grant them forgiveness. He says, though it's hard to say I'm sorry, it's even harder to forgive. Apologizing and granting forgiveness. How can we put our love for one another on display? Those are two things you can go do today. Those are things that you can do this week. Jesus is saying that for the outside world, your identification as disciples of Jesus will not be the result of your political, of your social, of your theological convictions, but rather by the way you love one another. So how can we do it? How can we love one another in this way? That brings us to our final point, the source of our love. Look with me at the dialogue between Jesus and Simon Peter that picks up in verse 36. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? And Jesus answered him, where I am going, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow afterward. Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. I love Peter. Jesus answered, will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, the rooster will not crow until you have denied me three times. It's as if Peter's saying, Jesus, you want us to love one another? I'm in. I'm in. Let's go. I will follow you wherever you go. I will lay down my life for you. Jesus, I will love you to the end. Spoiler alert. We see that Jesus is right. Later on in chapter 18, Peter doesn't not only fail to love Jesus to the end, he denies even knowing him three different times. Which begs the question, right? Because after three years of spending time with Jesus, following him, learning from him, being exposed to one miracle after another, Peter shows us that the source of our love for one another can't merely be the example of Jesus, The source of our love for one another can't merely be the commandment that Jesus gives. Yet, Peter's failure in chapter 18 is not the end of Peter's story. Peter is specifically loved, redeemed, and restored by Jesus to a very fruitful ministry that ultimately leads to him laying down his life for Jesus and laying down his life for the church. Tradition says that the end of Peter's life actually was a crucifixion. But tradition holds that Peter even asked to be crucified upside down because he himself wasn't worthy to die the same death that Jesus died. So what happened to transform Peter whose fear would prevent him from saying that he even knows or is connected to Jesus to become the type of man who so loved Jesus and so loved Jesus' people, loved his brothers and sisters in Christ, that he was willing to lay down his life. What was the source of his love? What is the source of your love? Friends, our love story And our love begins and ends with God. So let me remind you of the gospel story. Let me remind you of this ultimate love story that you were meant to find your place in. The story starts with creation. God is love. And in creation, we were made for love. God created us in intimate relationship with him to obey him, And to be loved by him. And to love and delight in one another. To love and to delight in one another's similarities and differences. Yet in the fall, sin and evil distorted God's perfect design for our love. The brokenness of this current world as a result of our sin and rebellion keeps us from knowing God's love. And our sin misdirects our love so that we love ourselves first and foremost instead of loving God and others. We have misdirected, misguided, distorted loves, and our our distorted love is what explains why loving one another is hard, why loving one another can be hurtful at times. But the story doesn't end there. See, in the work of redemption, love came down from heaven on an ultimate rescue mission as john will go on to say in 1st john chapter 4 this is how god showed his love among us that he sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him this is love not that we loved god but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins And not only did the Father send the Son, but the Father and the Son go on to send the Spirit to untwist our distorted loves, enabling us to love one another as Jesus loves us. And friends, this true gospel story, this ultimate love story doesn't end there. It goes all the way to a new heavens and a new earth where evil and sin will be eradicated and we will not have with us merely a new commandment, but we will have a new reality. Robert Chong in his book, Restoration Stories says, when God destroys evil in that new heavens and earth, we will freely and fully love God and others in ways that will make the best romance story pale in comparison. Let your mind imagine that. So what is the source for our love for one another? What fuels your love for one another is not merely the command in and of itself, but the personal love of Jesus made known to you in the gospel. Here's what I'm saying. Our understanding of God's love for us can't be this ethereal, out there, abstract reality. It must become personal. God's personal and particular love for you is the starting point for you to begin to love one another the way that God calls us to. Jesus so loved you that he gave himself up for you, to forgive you, not only for the ways that you gossip and judge and scrutinize one another, but also for the ways that you tend to ignore and avoid one another. Jesus forgives you for the ways that you fail to love him and to love others and for the ways that your love is lacking. And not only that, but Jesus loves you so much that he's willing to pour out his Holy Spirit on you, allowing the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit to take up residence in your own heart, empowering you to walk in love and towards one another. Your sacrificial, costly, agape love for one another cannot and will not be fully activated until you've received the sacrificial, costly love of Jesus. Cannot happen. A detailed plan will not cut it. The best of intentions will not Get it done. You will not see costly love activated in your life toward others until you humble yourself and receive the love of God for you that came at the costly sacrifice of Jesus. You must receive God's love to be able to give God's love. Quorum Deo, this is what you were made for. To go back to the story, this is what you were made for. This is what has the power to bring you true satisfaction and true peace, to walk in love for God and love for one another. This is the fulfillment of all that God calls us to as his people. Our love for one another is significant. Our love for one another is strategic, and if you want to connect to this source of love, if you want to love one another in a way that Jesus has loved you, you must start by receiving the love that God offers to you personally in the gospel. Let's pray together that our hearts would receive that love this morning and be strengthened by it. Love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. King Jesus, this is the new and never-ending mandate you've given us as your disciples. The clearest expression of us believing the gospel and being transformed by grace is our loving one another as you have loved and as you do love us. So, Jesus, fill our hearts with an even greater knowledge of your love, that we may love others more spontaneously, sacrificially, and joyfully. Fill our hearts with your powerful Holy Spirit. and We pray this in your loving and powerful name. Amen.